Well, good morning, church. I bring you greetings from uh, your brothers and sisters over in Wenatchee at King's Cross Church, and um, and um, really good to be here. Your your pastor is one of my favorite guys in the CREC, and um, I'm so thankful that you are taking good care of him, uh, and just just happy to be here this morning. I had a sabbatical several years ago, and and so. Um, uh, know what a blessing um, that is to pastors. And again, um, thanks for loving your pastor and taking good care of him. Please take your Bibles <clears throat> this morning with me and turn to Matthew chapter 27. <clears throat> I'll begin reading at verse 62. Matthew chapter 27, verse 62. These are the words of God. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard, soldiers, go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have assembled here this morning hungry and thirsty for news of you and your gospel. We pray, Father, by the person and power of your Holy Spirit, that you would show us yourself in the face of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, for we ask it in his name. And amen. James tells us that the Bible, God's word, is a mirror. And that if we really want to understand ourselves, really see ourselves as we truly are, then we need to try hard not to look at ourselves, but rather we we need to look into the word of God, which is a mirror. It it shows us ourself. And uh, I see that again and again as I... Read the, read the scriptures, and it's probably true for you as well. And whether, whether reading about the, the hard-heartedness of Israel in the Old Testament or the knuckle-headedness of the disciples in the New Testament, uh, again and again, I, I, I see me. I, I see my unfaithfulness. I see how, how easy it is for me to wander away from him who is my salvation. And and one of my favorite stories, and, and again, I see myself in this every time I read it, Mark chapter 9, is the story of the man that came to Jesus with his son who was, and I can't even imagine this, brought to Jesus his son who was demon-possessed. And Mark records for us exactly what that looked like. This man, as he brought his son to Jesus, he had heard about this, this rabbi and possibly there was some help there. And so he takes his son to Jesus and describes to Jesus what this demon had been doing to his son. He says, sometimes the demon takes a hold of him, makes him foam at the mouth, and throws him down onto the ground in convulsions, sometimes into the fire, sometimes into the water, but always trying to destroy my son. And he looks to Jesus and says, If you can do something, will you please do something to help my son? Jesus keys on one word there, and he he looks at that man. And again, I cannot even imagine his distress. Looks at that man and says, 
Excuse me. Did you just say if? Did you just say if I can do something to help your son? And then this man said something that I think I say every day. He he looked at Jesus and he said, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. You know, that's me on my best days. On my best days, on my best days, I, I can say to the Lord, Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. And I'm not even going to tell you what it's like for me on my worst days, okay? And again, I look into the Word of God and I say, okay, there it is. There's, there's the mirror. In the midst of all the distress, and God in His sovereign good kindness and mercy gifts us with various trials and tribulations and temptations. We swim through a sea of difficulty every day, every week. Amen. Heads are bobbing out here. You know what I'm talking about, okay? And in the midst of, and in the midst of all that, okay, and a sail from every side, we cry out again and again, okay, Lord, I, I know you're in charge of all of this, and, and, and I believe, I believe, help me with my unbelief. The disciples, uh, or the Pharisees, rather, here in this, um, in this passage are worried, Okay, they are worried. They 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 heard about they heard about this Jesus. Uh, they had they had heard him teach as he came up into Jerusalem, and they had heard this claim that he had made earlier on that on the on the third day he would rise again. And so now the Pharisees, having gained they think this victory over Jesus, and now he's in the tomb, but um, uh, they're very worried about this, and so they uh, they went to they went to Pilate. And, and they said, sir, we remember how that imposter said, well, he was still alive after three days, I will rise. Therefore, verse 64, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people that he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. So even though, even though this is their moment of victory, they're still worried, and they're still worried about Jesus. They're still worried about this claim that he had made that he would rise again on the third day, And even more than that, they're worried that somehow if the disciples are able to get the body out of the tomb, what the disciples are going to make of that report. And they say, and then the last fraud will be worse than even the first fraud. The first fraud was that Jesus would claim to rise from the dead. But if somehow they're able to spirit his his body away from the tomb, then who knows what they're going to do with that. Okay? They, They were afraid. They were afraid that on the basis of the empty tomb, Jesus purportedly having raised again from the dead on the third day, that they were going to go all around the country and who knows what they were going to do with that message. And they said, and this will be so awful. The last fraud, all that they make of that supposed resurrection will actually be worse than the first. So please, please help us secure the tomb. And so Pilate says, well, fine. You have a guard. Go make the tomb as secure as you can. And as a matter of fact, the worst fears of the Pharisees were realized because immediately after the resurrection, the disciples began to make much of that empty tomb. And we'll look at that here together in a minute. But first of all, let's just set the stage a minute again. Let's go back to, Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief. The, the promises that we are given in Scripture are absolutely astounding again and again again. 
and again. Okay? They're not tiny promises. They're, they're huge. They're incredible. You know, go back in the Old Testament. You know, Abraham, God, God speaks to Abraham, barren Abraham and his wife, Sarah, old, and says, Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants look up in the night sky. I'm going to make your descendants more than the stars in the night sky. Look down beneath your feet more than the grains of sand beneath your feet. Abraham, that's how many your descendants will be. And again and again and again, God comes to us with these these incredible, amazing, astounding promises. And we say, Lord, help me out here. Lord, I believe. That's, That's what we say. One of the promises that Jesus gave, he says, as uh, talking to his disciples in his last days, he said, if I am, if I am crucified, I rise again, I go to the Father, it's a good thing because when I do that, then I'm going I'm to pour out the Holy Spirit. I will pour out my spirit into you and filled up to overflowing with the person and power of the Holy Spirit, you will have power to bear testimony to me and my work. To which we say, Lord, I believe because we don't always feel like that, do we? Okay? God, again and again, puts us in circumstance and situation when we, when we do not feel, we do not feel at any given moment that we have been filled up to overflowing with the person, the power of the Holy Spirit to bear witness to the greatness and the goodness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But that's the, that's the promise. God says in His Word, He promises that at the, at the end of all, at the end of time, there will be a resurrection from the dead. There will be a bodily resurrection. We don't just pass into nothingness and we don't just pass into some sort of ethereal spiritual existence from uh, in eternity. I'm going to tell you, um, I was a little um, I was a little depressed growing up because uh, people kept telling me that that when I died and in the resurrection that I'd be in heaven forever and ever. And I would be this kind of this spiritual person standing before the throne of God singing for eternity and. I'm really supposed to be excited about that, but I, I wasn't, okay? Um, but, but, the, but the Bible, we're, we're given more than that. We are promised, we are promised a bodily resurrection, okay? In the eternal state, you will have a nose, 10 fingers and 10 toes. You, you will have a glorified, resurrected body in which to enjoy the new heavens and the new earth. Promise that, Bible, and we say, well, Lord, I... I believe. Help me out here. That's that's what I say. Bible tells us that at the end of time, it says God has appointed a day. He's appointed a judge. And on that day, on that day, that judge is going to put everything to right. Everything. Every tear dried. Okay? Every, every injustice, every injustice, put right and made right. Every, every evil that ought to be judged, judged, and every good thing that was ever done that, that in this life was unrewarded will be rewarded then. God has appointed today, appointed a judge where he will put everything to right. And we say, Lord, I believe. That's what I say. The Bible tells us that present tense Right now, Jesus, our Savior, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and the Father has invested in him all power and authority to rule in heaven and on earth. Very clear. 
But we turn on the television set, we read the news, <laughs> God help us, in this election cycle, and we say, yeah, really? Really? Is, is that, are you sure? Okay. I mean, the Bible's clear. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He rules present tense, and we say, Lord, I believe. That's what I say. Recently, just to, at that mall, just to the a few miles to the north of here, young man shot and killed eight people and is still at large. And the Bible says that King Jesus is still on his throne, ruling all that we're still on plan A and there is no plan B. And we say, Lord, I believe. I don't know if you saw this in the news, but back in Massachusetts recently, the legislature passed a law they said we will now determine for churches when you're operating in a religious fashion and when you're operating in a secular fashion and if you're if we determine that you're operating in a secular fashion let's say like a spaghetti feed on a wednesday night then you must address the, everybody that comes through your door with the pronouns that they have chosen for themselves regardless of their biological dna and also you must allow them restroom access to the restroom that they feel like they are entitled to on that particular day. And it is the state that has determined when the church is operating in a secular way and when the state is operating in a religious way, to which we say, every time we open our doors, we're operating in a religious fashion, right? Everything that we do is gospel-driven. And even if we're eating spaghetti together, right, okay, we, we, we do that hoping hoping that all of Linwood will come in the door and sit and sup with us and so that we might have an opportunity to bear witness to the greatness and the goodness of our Savior Jesus Christ. Everything that we do, and now the state in Massachusetts, and please consider this to be a preview of coming detractions, okay? Uh, you people here on the, you know, the, on the east side of the mountains, I think we're still thinking about these things correctly. On the west side of the mountains... You guys keep letting us down in the um, in, in the election cycles, okay? Come on, you got to bring up your game a little bit here. And we look at all these things that are happening and the in increasing overreach of the civil magistrate, and we say, okay, God, you say that Jesus is seated at your right hand. I believe, and we say, that's what I say. The Bible, again, and again, and again, and again. You start at the beginning, all the way to the last verse of Revelation. The Bible tells us that God delights to forgive our sins for Jesus' sake. Sometimes, uh, because of the horribleness of our sin, sometimes because of the repeated nature of our sin, I mean, the sin that... We have, we have committed again and again and again and again and again and again. And because those sins were committed for us as Christians in the presence of so much light, God takes a look at that and says, my child, I know your frame. And here's the bottom line. Not only am I willing, but I delight to forgive your sins. Those horrible, repeated sins committed in the presence of so much light. I delight to forgive your sins for Jesus' sake. And we say, Lord, I, I, I believe. Now, 
There's the stage. We just set the stage here. Now, here is the apostolic witness about these things. Again, what we're going to see here is that the worst fears of these Pharisees was realized in the apostolic preaching right away. In other words, in other words, and this, looking at it from the Pharisees' point of view, the last fraud was worse than the first because immediately the disciples began to go out into the world and point to the empty tomb and say, because the tomb of Jesus Christ is empty... Listen to what they said, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2. This is first, Peter's first sermon. After the infilling to overflowing of the Holy Spirit, Peter says this, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he hath both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Peter says it's, a, it's just a little if-then statement, and whether you have had formal logic or not, we all use if-then statements all the time. If, P, then Q. P, therefore Q. In other words, we can say, if it's raining outside, okay, then my car will be wet. If it's raining outside, the grass will be wet. If it's raining outside as I exit the building, then I will get wet. Okay? If P, then Q, R, S, T. Okay? P, it's raining outside, then we know that all those other things are true. We use this all the time. Now the disciples are saying, if Jesus has been raised from the dead, then his Holy Spirit has been poured out into his people, poured into us, filled up to overflowing with power to bear testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and again, God knows our frame. He, he knows that we don't always, am I alone in this? Don't always feel like we are filled up to overflowing with the person and power of the Holy Spirit. Am I the only one? And so God, our Heavenly Father, if you, You've raised kids. You probably did this with your little kids. You know, you, you, you take their little faces in your hands. Okay? You have something really important that you want to say to them. And so you take their faces in your hand. Okay, honey, look, look at me. I have something really important to say to you. And your heavenly father says on those days that you do not feel, feel like you are filled up to overflowing with the person and power of the Holy Spirit. He says, okay, child of mine, I, I, I just want you to look someplace. I want you to look to the empty tomb, because if P, then Q. If the tomb is empty, then Christ is seated at my right hand, and he has poured out into you my Holy Spirit and filled you up with everything that you need to be a follower of Jesus Christ and bear witness to him. We say, Lord, I believe the resurrection from the dead, Acts chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Right away, the, uh, the disciples began to go out in the community and say, the tomb is empty. And if the tomb is empty, not only has Jesus been raised from the dead, but we, like him, will be raised from the dead. We, we, we will not spend forever seated on a cloud, angel wings, halo, strumming on a harp. Okay, The disciples said, as Jesus was raised from the dead, we will be raised from the dead. Given 
glorified bodies, just like Jesus' body, so that we may enjoy to the full extent the new heavens and the new earth. And so God, our Heavenly Father, says, okay, you know, on those days when you doubt, on those days when you think that we're just passing into some sort of darkness or non-existence or pure spiritual being, our Heavenly Father says, look to the tomb. If the tomb is empty, if the tomb is empty, then you, child, will receive your resurrection body. As Jesus was resurrected, you will be resurrected. And we say, praise God, I believe. Putting all things right, Paul, Acts chapter 17 says to these men assembled on Mars Hill, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now notice what Paul says there. Okay, God has appointed a day. God has appointed a judge. And on that day, this judge that he has appointed will put everything to right. You know, when Jesus talked about this, you know, Peter went to him and he said, he said, Lord, he said, you know, we've left all to follow you. And Jesus said, Peter, just stop worrying about that. I, I promise you, what, whatever you gave up in this life for my sake and for the gospel's sake will be returned to you 30, 60, even 100 fold. Okay? Jesus says, on, Paul said, on that day, he said, God has appointed a judge. God has appointed a day. And on that day, Jesus, the judge, will put everything to right. Anything that you lost in this life, anything that you had to endure in this life, any injustice that you faced in this life, King Jesus is going to put to right on that great getting up day. You know, again, you turn on the TV, you read the news. Our, our nation is, um, is consumed at this time with this, you know, this notion of social justice. And we as Christians should lead the charge. But social justice, justice goes wrong when we think that in this life and right now, we need to set everything right. If anything wrong has been done to me, then that needs to be put right right now, right? And so what, but what happens is everything just devolves into an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? I, I, I was wrong, and now that needs to be put right right now. We as Christians can say, okay, as we labor for personal, for familial, for social justice, and we should, we can say, and whatever we don't get right right now, it's okay. Because God has appointed a day. God has appointed a judge. And on that day, on that day, whatever you were robbed of in this life will be put right by King Jesus. Whatever that you unjustly or unfairly had to endure in this life will be put right by King Jesus. And again, Paul says, Paul says, and God has proved this. God has made this certain. How? Jesus, raised, Jesus was raised from the dead. Our Heavenly Father says, you doubt this to be true? Okay, I want you to, child, look to the empty tomb. Because if the tomb is empty, then God is appointed a day. God is appointed a judge. And on that day, King Jesus will put everything to right. Jesus has been declared to be the Son of God in power. Paul wrote to the Romans, Paul, the servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness. How? By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. When we read that word, those three words, son of God, 
We have three terms, son of God, son of man. Three words in each of those terms. And we, we generally get it backwards here. Um, as I tell my congregation all the time, before, before we go to Wenatchee, we need to go to Jerusalem. Okay? We need to hear those words the same way that, 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 uh, that Jesus' audience, that Matthew's audience would have heard those words, son of God. Matthew's audience would have heard those words, son of God. Paul's audience in the first century would have heard those words, son of God, and said that refers to the kingship of Jesus. Okay? Now, the son of God would be the king of kings. Now, son of man, we get, that, we get backwards. We say, okay, son of God, that means that Jesus is God. And then we read son of man, we say, and that means that Jesus shared our humanity. Well, son of man, again, hearing those words... Uh, through the, um, through the ears of those first century people, son of man, that would have been a direct reference to Daniel chapter 7, the son of man who goes on the glory cloud to the ancient of days and there receives a kingdom and glory and a dominion that will never come to an end. Son of man refers to Jesus' divinity. Son of God says, okay, he's king. The son of God means that he is the king of kings. And again, Paul says here, that this was declared, he was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness. How? By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So on those days when you turn on the television, on those days when you look at your own life and the hard providences that God is and has dealt to you, questioning, wondering if Jesus Christ is indeed seated at the right hand of the Father, your Heavenly Father says, Child, just take, take a look at the empty tomb. If the tomb is empty then you can be assured that Jesus Christ is the Son of God invested with all power and authority in heaven and on earth. And lastly, forgiveness of sins. What does Paul say? Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, if he did not come bodily out of the tomb, bad news, you are still in your sins. But then we flip that around and we say, but if Christ has been raised from the grave, if the tomb is empty, then Paul says, know this of a certain, then your sins are forgiven. On those days, in the grips of doubt, and again, Michael, thank you for the reminder here. Yes, we should doubt our doubts. But on those days, okay, when we doubt God's either his willingness or his ability to forgive those horrible, repeated sins that were committed in the presence of so much light. Here, here I am again, God, for the thousandth time, when we doubt his ability or willingness to forgive us, our Heavenly Father just says, okay, child, will you please put your eyes on the empty tomb? Because I guarantee you, if that tomb is empty, then your sins are forgiven. Now, here's an amazing thing. To all these things, all these things, okay? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit, resurrection from the dead, the putting of all things right, Jesus declared to be the Son of God in power, even the forgiveness of sins, okay? But when God says, I want you to look there, 
God is directing us to look at what some have called the most attested to and verified event in ancient history. Uh, I recently read a book by J. Warner Wallace called um, uh, Cold Case Christianity. J. Warner Wallace was a cold case detective in the city of Chicago for several years. Uh, an atheist, a non-Christian, was challenged by a friend of his to take his cold case detective skills and apply them. He said, I just want you to look at one thing, and that's the resurrection of Jesus. And so this guy took his detective skills and very, very skeptically okay, and started reading the accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. And at the conclusion of his detective work, concluded that he had to believe that Jesus Christ was raised bodily from the grave on the third day. And there's just a, there's just a couple little things from this book, and it's a great book. Uh, the first thing that he pointed to was the, was the fact that the four testimonies that we have uh, vary to a certain degree. You know, he, he, said, he said in his detective work, his cold case detective work, if, if he interviewed four witnesses to the, to the crime and their stories matched identically, he says, then that was always proof that they had colluded. You know, they got together and said, make, make sure we get our story straight here, okay? If they agreed in every detail, he said, okay, th- this is fixed. You, you, you have colluded. He said, uh, he said you, you trust the testimony. If you have four witnesses, there's going to be four different points of view, and the details will vary, not necessarily contradict one another, but will vary from witness to witness. That's exactly what he read in the accounts of the four Gospels. Second thing that he noted was the lack of proof that the gospel writers try to give. They don't give a detailed proof of the resurrection. They just assert it. Okay? Now, all these things were published. These things were written in a time when you could say, well, you know, Matthew said here that Jesus raised, you know, was raised from the grave. But what if I go ask Peter? Matthew would say, go ask Peter. Go ask any of the people. Go ask the women. You know, actually, Jesus one time appeared to 500 people at the same time. Most of those people are still alive. Why don't you go talk to them? Okay. The gospel writers didn't feel like they had to prove anything. They just listed some names and said, if you want to follow this up for yourself, knock yourself out. The testimony of the disciples, all of the disciples, maybe save John alone, went to their graves and testified with their lives. Peter crucified upside down, James beheaded. According to church tradition, all of them okay, died bearing testimony to the resurrection of Jesus to the emptiness of the tomb and lastly the change of the day of worship the seventh day the seventh day the seventh day that is the only day that you worship the living and true God and yet very shortly after the resurrection of Jesus that day of worship was changed from the seventh day of the week to the first day of the week honoring honoring the fact that the disciples were able to according to what the Pharisees said there Go to that Roman guard, okay, who were fast asleep in front of that tomb. Fast asleep, even though they knew that if they failed to discharge their duty to guard the tomb, that they would all be put to death. And those clever disciples somehow were able to sneak up on those Roman guards fast asleep and roll away that stone that would probably take between 10 and 20 men just to move a little bit. And those bold, clever disciples stole the body of the, out of that tomb in the middle of the night. I think, really, that's the best you could do for your alternate story? Now, think about this, people. Everybody agrees that the tomb was empty. There was no dispute about whether or not the tomb was empty. 
Even the enemies of Jesus Christ, okay, believed that the tomb was empty. They had to come up with an alter alternative story about how the tomb got empty. Okay? Yeah, we know how the tomb got empty. Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Matthew records a few verses early. Jesus cries out with a loud voice, yields up his spirit. And what do we hear? Okay, the rocks split and the tombs were open. Think about that for a second. You know, when Jesus went into the tomb, he went into a place that was pre-conquered. His tomb was carved out of the rock, okay? Jesus cries out, yields up his spirit. The rocks split, the tombs are open. Okay, Jesus went into a place that was already pre-conquered by his death, okay? He owned the tomb when he walked into it. The angel didn't roll back the stone to release Jesus. Jesus went out the back somewhere. The angel rolled away the stone so that we could all see that the tomb was empty, but Jesus didn't need the help of the angel because the tomb was already pre-conquered in his death. When Jesus said, it is finished, you know what he meant? It's finished. That's what he meant, okay? That's what he meant, okay? That's why the rock split. That's why the tomb was opened. The enemies of Jesus agreed that the tomb was empty. The friends of Jesus all knew that the tomb was empty. So I just say to you here this morning, okay, when in doubt, and when you don't feel like you have been filled up to overflowing with the person and power of the Holy Spirit, look to the empty tomb. When you don't feel, or whether you begin to doubt seriously whether there is any kind of an afterlife and whether you will have a bodily existence in the new heavens and the earth, new earth, then look to the empty tomb. If you begin to doubt that there is a day that God has appointed and a judge that he has appointed and on that great day every wrong will be put to right when you don't believe that look to the empty tomb when you don't believe that Jesus Christ is seated present tense at the right hand of the father ruling both heaven and earth that we are still on plan A and there is no plan B look to the empty tomb and the grips of sin and guilt and shame when you when you can't believe that God would be not just willing but even delighted to forgive your sins for Jesus sake then look to the empty tomb according to the witness of the apostle all of these things have been verified for us proved for us by the resurrection of Jesus on the third day and your heavenly father says when you cry out I believe help me with my unbelief your father says then look to the empty tomb these things are true, and amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are, we, we are mixed bags on our best days. We believe, Lord, help us with our unbelief. And in the grips of unbelief, Father, train us. I pray that you would cause us to make it a, a habit of looking again and again and again to that place where Jesus proved that it was finished where Jesus proved that he was the victor over sin and death. Father, I pray that you would cause us to look there and again filled up to overflowing with your spirit and power that we would believe that these things are so. Father, we thank you for your great love. We thank you that there is a day and a judge appointed. Father, we thank you that you will, just as you promised, put all things to right. We thank you. We love you in Jesus' name and amen.